0: How to Deal with High-Maintenance Coworkers in the Law Firm. Joining us is Dr. Rick Brinkman, a holistic physician spreading his conscious communication message to support people in their health and well-being. He is the co-author of the international bestseller Dealing with People You Can't Stand, How to Bring Out the Best in People at Their Worst. Welcome, Dr. Rick. Great to have you hey, with us
1: today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And whenever, wherever there's difficult people, I'll be there.
0: <laughs> Sounds like you've got longevity in your career there, Dr. Rick. Um, Difficult people. (laughs) (laughs) Difficult people. We all have to deal with them at work, at home, everywhere. Now, I'm curious, Dr. Rick, how do you define a high-maintenance or difficult person, and what makes them behave that way?
1: Well, the truth is difficulty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, there's Mm -hmm. behaviors that can drive us crazy, for example, whining or negativity or when somebody attacks or has a tantrum or being a know-it-all. But um, some people already have the strategy wired for those behaviors so when people act that way the person doesn't even show up as a blip on their radar and part of that could be their attitude to it like for example I met two ladies at the same boss who would blow up and Mm -hmm. throw the same tantrums and one of these ladies, the boss is terribly intimidating, and the other says, eh, no big deal. So I ask him on a break, this was in a seminar, what, what happens to you internally, mentally, when the boss starts yelling? The one who's intimidated says she feels like a two-year-old with her father. The one who says no big deal says she purposely visualizes the boss as a two-year-old with a dirty diaper. Now that's what I call making an attitude adjustment, right? So Absolutely. she's got an automatic internal reaction that allows her to uh, – not take it personally,
0: and then from there you know, you can
1: also intervene behaviorally. And then with this particular person, she also knew what to do to put out the fire. So it was just automatic. It was just a small little thing, and she handled it. So really that's what makes somebody difficult. If you don't know what to do about it, um, you perceive them as a problem.
0: Interesting. You know, most of us keep our own private list of high-maintenance people, coworkers, uh, but you've identified a whole cast of difficult characters in your book. 13 in all. Would you share a few of them or all of them?
1: Sure. I mean, these are uh, from our research the behaviors that can easily drive people crazy. So I've mentioned mm-hmm. a few already like uh, uh, what we call tank attack when people run over you uh, or um, a tantrum. Uh, a little more irrational than a tank attack. It doesn't make sense. It's disproportionate to the present circumstances. Uh, whining or negativity, and those are, are really big because they are virulent they can spread like the flu through a team of people. Then you got sniping. That's another one that's virulent that can spread. You know, I'm sure uh, many people in their work life have experienced how one department can have an ongoing sniping relationship with another department. Like Hatfields and McCoys, like sniping, right. whining, and negativity, have a tendency to become group habits. But of course, it's individual too. You know, somebody can resent you for something, and they're sniping to your face or behind your back. You know, you stand up at a meeting, and they say, uh, "I got a great idea. Let's play horse. I'll be the head. You just be yourself. Okay. Ooh, don't get all emotional. Ooh. Can't you take a joke?" So, attacks, tantrums, sniping, whining, negativity, uh, know-it-alls when people. Um, know that their ideas are the gift from God and they're not going to listen to your clearly inferior ideas. Uh, yes. They go on and on and on and meetings, dominate. Um, and then you got a different version of that which is think they know it all and this is people <laughs> are acting like they do but they really don't. And uh, people can go right from one to the other. I mean, you could be in a conversation about a topic where somebody's being a know-it-all and they're dominating, and then the topic changes to something else that they don't know as much, but they keep on going. Uh, that, the think they know-it-all is where you get one-upsmanship, you know, you were sick, they were sick, or that kind of thing. It's a real need for attention, but we can get into the origins a little bit later. Uh, so what you also get now is a slew of quote-unquote nice behaviors Uh, like yes behavior, hey, can you do this by Thursday? Oh, yeah, sure. And Thursday, it's not done. Okay, I really need it tomorrow. Okay, sure. And Mm -hmm. people are very agreeable and pleasing on the surface, but uh, you don't know where they stand. It's also very easy for them to make commitments that they can't keep because – when you ask them to do something,
0: they're not doing task
1: calculations. They're not looking at their schedule and figuring out what's realistic. They're seeing you, they want to please you, and they say yes. Uh, Maybe behavior comes out of that same area in the sense that if somebody's faced with a decision that could possibly hurt somebody's feelings, they put it off until it becomes made by default, but not their fault. And then, of course, if somebody is upset about something, that nice part of them keeps a lid on the upset which can easily fester, and then they go from nice yes person to your face to sniper behind the back, what we call So we can
0: assume different roles at different times.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, what what role you assume, so to speak, uh, really depends on these two factors. Context, where are we, what's going on, business meeting, social gathering, restaurant, and then relationship, who you're with. You know, uh, let's say somebody's in a work context, in your, your work context, and they're acting a certain way. You'll want different things if they're your boss, they're uh, subordinate, they're a coworker, they're somebody who's a client. Same place, same behavior, but depending on the relationship, what you want may change. On the other hand, you know, let's switch it around. Let's say you're with a spouse, someone you're committed to in that way. That's the relationship. That's a constant the issue comes up in the context of the restaurant. You'll want different things, and if the same issue comes up in the context of your home. Same person, same issue, but suddenly context is driving everything. So it's and you really had a about... story. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I love the story about the CEO you told me, about oh, when this yes. one CEO is at work. I think that perfectly sums up what you said. Would you share that with us?
1: Absolutely. I, usually when I uh, prepare to do a program for a, a company or an association or such, I like to interview people to get a sense of their challenges and such. So mm-hmm. I was uh, interviewing the CEO of this company, and she admitted, oh, yes, she's in the controlling area that we call our lens of understanding, why people act like the way they do. And then if she gets stressed, she becomes tank and starts boom, 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 and running all over people. But then when she comes home, she said she becomes a whiner to her husband about the problems at work now a lot of
0: us can relate to that uh-huh
1: uh, yeah and her husband right from his perception he cannot understand how could she possibly run a company she is such a whiner there but he doesn't get to see her in that other context or relationship and this is a very important thing that we only know people in limited context and limited relationships even the people we're closest to we only know a small area hmm but let me circle back for a moment because you asked me sure. what the behaviors. We still have a few more here. Uh, oh, there's that's nothing right. behavior when people withdraw. You know, they could say, fine, do it your way. Don't come crying to me when it doesn't work out. And from that point on, they say nothing. Or you can have nothing behavior from the uh, perspective of, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. And you get nothing. You also have martyr behavior where people are being nice. They're trying to do everything for everybody and then uh, but the problem is the things they do are nothing everybody really wants <laughs> so they're not getting any really appreciation that's what they really want and uh, eventually there's more to meltdown and then you get the judge uh, judge is when people are being hypercritical nitpicky and then uh, when you mate a judge with a tank all right, so a judge is being critical of the details. The tank is like, hey, just make it happen. Well, you mm-hmm. put them together, you get a meddler. Da-da-da-da, meddler. Because they judge you that you're not doing the right thing, and then they just do it for you or try to make it happen.
0: So you have all these characters coming to
1: play in the workspace.
0: Now, obviously, these folks have a negative impact on their coworkers. Now, what can we do, Dr. Rick, to work well, with that?
1: Every behavior has uh, an impact. And so what you want to know, first of all, communication is like a phone number. You need all the digits to get through and you need them in the right order. If you happen to turn your six into a nine, it's only a 10% error as far as a 10-digit number, but the call does not get through. If you dial the area code at the end as an afterthought, the call does not get through. Communication is equally specific. So, for example, let's just take know-it-all behavior uh, for a moment. Uh, if somebody's being a know-it-all, ego is right there on the surface at, at that moment. Now, if, they, if they're going to listen to you, okay, and your goal is really open their mind, uh, the know-it-all's got to know that you know how much they know. Any uh, statements of acknowledgement, obviously you're very experienced in this area, you've studied this field, you've been here 20 years, blah, 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 all those kinds of statements drop their defenses so that they can hear you. Anything that steps on ego toes is gonna make it harder for you. Mm -hmm. Then what you wanna do really is um, ask a lot of questions to find out why they think what they think. Now, anytime there's a point of view, all right, anybody has a point of view, an opinion, whatever, That's the end result of two things. First of all, an intent. There's a purpose. And then, when people have a purpose, they run it through what's called criteria. So let me give you an example of this. So I was in my office once with a couple. It was the end of the visit. Everybody's feeling good. She suddenly turns to him and says, Honey, let's go to the Rose Gardens. And he says, Nah. And she says, Okay. And I say, Wait a second. What's your intent right now? Why did you bring this up? She says, Well... We're feeling closer than we have in a long time. We have an hour before we have to pick up the kids. I thought it would be nice to spend some quiet time together. He says, that's a great idea. I don't want to be outside. Too hot, too buggy. How about the cafe we've been meaning to try? Now, does she really care about going to the Rose Gardens? No. What she cares about is the intent, having time together. Rose Gardens is just a way to do it. Now, mm-hmm. why did she pick that? Okay, that's based on criteria. Maybe, Well, first of all, they only had an hour, so there was a time criterion, right, that had to be satisfied. Uh, maybe it's on the way home. Maybe it doesn't cost anything. Maybe it's a romantic, quiet place. So, whenever people have uh, an opinion, a point of view, whatever, what has preceded that is an overall intent. They run the intent through the criteria, and then it becomes Rose Gardens. Now. Once he understands what's really going on, he could say, you know, that's a great idea. I'd love to spend some time together, and uh, it's got to fit within an hour. It's on the way home, but I'd hate to be outside. It's too hot and buggy. How about the cafe we've been meaning to try? Mm
0: -hmm. Boom, and then
1: it becomes something else. And the trick with a know-it-all, then, is you have to find out their criteria. Uh, Why do they think what they think? and ideally put it on a whiteboard because when you see something visually you could see totality of factors you know you can see that it's it's on the way home it won't cost anything it's a romantic place it fits within an hour you can't hear those verbally all at the same time but you see them so once you see totality and no one knows that you know how much they know and they know that you've heard them and you understand where they're coming from and why they think it's important then it becomes possible to add some more criteria here well and here's the you know how it's going to affect morale in the office and and there's this factor over here what's the client going to think so you get to add things and um then they're not that tough to deal with
0: So you have to dial the right number
1: You do you have of, to dial the uh, right number to-
0: that's great. I was going to ask you for an example, but you just gave me one. So that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Rick Brinkman, for your expertise on dealing with difficult coworkers. You can see Dr. Rick talk about his full cast of difficult characters and how to effectively communicate with them this fall at ALA's Business of Law Conferences coming to a city near you. Visit the ALA website, alanet.org, for more info. And thanks, everyone, for joining us.